resumed our We Believe series last week. Last week was my first official week back from vacation, and we have sort of hit the ground running addressing some of the more critical issues that comprise the, the crux of Christianity. In other words, the, the premise of this series, We Believe, is sort of a dialogue between us about what it is that we say we believe as Christians, why these things matter, and why they actually have relevancy for our modern lives in our modern world. And so we continue talking about the importance of the Bible today in our lives. And we, we had a message last week on this. This is sort of a, it's a twofer. You get two for one on this subject. Last week addressed some of the, the core rhythms of why we studied the Bible, the, the, the little bit of the history of it, where we got it from, all that good stuff. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more on the practical side as far as an approach on how to read it. And so last week, we read them here uh, a few moments ago. We studied Jesus' words in John 7 and Paul's words in 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. I'm not going to you know, reteach that today, but the summary ideas of those verses were, were very important. Essentially, what they teach us is that we believe God gave us the Scriptures, the Bible, the New Testament, to know Him. And to truly know God requires that we read them on a regular basis. The very nature of the Bible in our hands signifies that God is a God who wants to be known, and he gives us this incredible tool. It's one of a few tools, but it is sort of the foundational tool that we resort to to understand life and faith. A lot of the subjects I'm going to be talking about in the weeks and months that follow, the source for them is the Bible. So that is why we began this section of this We Believe series talking about the Bible. It informs everything we do, everything we say, and everything we know and understand about God. And so with that in mind, if you were unable to be with us here last week, that message is online and it is worth listening to. Because in it we pointed out that Jesus himself, this is one of the foundational reasons for why we should value the Bible, Jesus himself regularly referred to, he regularly taught from, and the thing that I find most intriguing is he personally obeyed all of the truths of the Scripture. He talks about him being the fulfillment of them. And so the, the Bible at least the way we understand it today, Old and New Testament. The New Testament was being written during the life of Jesus. The Old Testament was solidified as he was walking around on earth. We have this interesting reality that Jesus is constantly married to the, to the Scriptures. Now today, we rather conveniently have the Old and New Testament in a single book that we can hold in our hands or a device. You know, there's an amazing set of online tools, apps and stuff that you can actually refer to to read the Bible. So today, reading the Bible is, is more convenient than ever, yet ironically, we continue to move in a trajectory, as far as I'm speaking about Christianity now, where people are sort of disengaging themselves from Scripture, and it's interesting. It's more convenient than ever, but less practiced than ever. So the gist of last week's message was simply this. Because Jesus had a very high view of the Scriptures, the reality of it is that we should too. I talked a good bit about cause and effect. That's what belief is. Belief is a cause. It's an idea that we sort of marry our head, our hearts, and our hands around. And that cause should affect an area of life. So simply put, if Jesus valued the Bible, if he referred to the Bible, if he taught Scripture, if he submitted to the truth of Scripture, then what that means is we should be the type of people who, at the very least, desire to understand why we should do that. Or in its very best form, we should be the type of people that, with all of our heart, soul, and might, we are trying to to follow the teachings of the Scripture in the same way that Jesus did. And so today, I want to add a bit of a natural progression step to this teaching by giving us a recommendation on how to actually read the Bible. All right? We talked about the way we approach the Bible, that Jesus himself says these words, these teachings are not his own. They come directly from the throne of heaven. That's what he says in John. In other words, they are God's words. 
And because God is our authority, at least in the Christian faith he is, these words should also be an authority in our life. They should deeply matter. And then 2 Timothy teaches us that the Bible's teachings are really important for us in a number of ways. They help us to understand life. They can correct our paths when we stray. They can encourage us. They can exhort us. They can challenge us. They really are a bit of a rudder in our lives. We talked about the importance of what that means. Today, I want to offer you a recommendation on a way to read the Bible. And I say a recommendation because there are a lot of ways you can read the Bible. And while there certainly can be some wrong ways, simply meaning the Bible is a, is a piece of literature, so you can approach it in ways that might cause us to maybe misunderstand it. Like, for example, if I were to read the front page of a newspaper to you, which typically highlights the most significant events going on in our community, if I were to read that to you as if it was a love letter, it would sound utterly awkward, would it not? I mean, it would not make any sense. Like, 12 cars piled up on I-95 this morning, and... I really love you. That wouldn't make any sense, right? That's because the, book, the Bible is a book of literature. And understanding it that way helps us to know how to sort of approach it and understand it and mind truth out of it. And so I say a recommendation simply meaning this isn't the only way, but it is a very good way. What I offer you today is a practical and sound method that can help a person get in the Bible if they aren't reading it yet. So if you have no discipline for Bible study, that's okay. The point of today's message is to sort of figure out how we can introduce that in our lives. Or maybe you're a person who reads the Bible regularly, but you're having a hard time understanding it or really mining it for all it's worth. Or maybe you just have questions about it or you want to sort of enhance your ability to read the Bible. This is a great way for us to understand reading Scripture in a way that feeds our soul in a balanced way. And so with that refresher in mind, I want to revisit some teachings that I shared with you three years ago. It's been a long time. It's time to revisit them. They're extremely important questions that we're going to look at today, two of them. One we'll answer in its entirety, one we will just briefly touch on, but don't mistake my brevity for importance. They are very practical in nature, and they can be immediately applied to your life, and I hope you will receive them as such and follow up with them if you have questions about them this week. The first question is a simple one. What is the best way for me to study the truths of the Bible? If we really believe the Bible is as important as we say it is, then we should naturally want to know how to approach it. And secondly, what should I expect to happen when I study the Bible? And this is what makes the Bible sort of unique from the rest of the world's literature. There is sort of an expectation we should have when we approach it. If it truly is God's revelation of himself to us, if it truly is one of the evidences that God desires us to know him deeply, then what that means is we shouldn't just sort of read it without a motive or a purpose. We should read it deeply believing that God desires to show us something about him and about us. So approaching the Bible this way, understanding how we approach it and, and sort of what we expect from it, gives us a bit of a framework to read it correctly and to have it applied deep into the, the annals of our hearts. And so let's jump right in and address the first question. What is the best way for me to study the Bible? This is a, a very simple question in nature, but it can be pretty complex. I mean, if you were to search right now, how should I study the Bible online, you would probably get like 20 million hits on it, all right? There's a lot of sort of thoughts and ideas. Some people are speed readers. Some people believe in reading heavily. Some people are you know, just a verse a day. Lots of ways to read the Bible. This is a good way to sort of encapsulate the best of, of both worlds. How can we sort of read the Bible intently, but also somewhat broadly so that we're connected to like the the significant stuff in the Bible, the little important items, but also connected to the larger story. Well, what I would say is in Christianity, a balanced truth diet, keep in mind what we said last week, God's words to us are truth, and our soul hungers for truth. So I'm going to talk about this from the angle of food today. A balanced truth diet can be achieved by regularly reading a gospel and another book or topic of your choice. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. 
approaching a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and then constantly being in another book or idea in the Bible. And whenever I talk about this idea, sort of focusing in on Jesus and then, you know, maybe piecemealing or cherry-picking side buffet items on the table of truth, I like to talk about a bit of a biological reality by looking at a disease. Now work with me here because I'm not saying reading the Bible is a disease. I'm just saying if we approach the Bible improperly, it actually can breed a form of diseased Christianity. So follow me through to the end on this one. And it's a, it's a disease that was very common a couple hundred years ago. Not so common today, at least in our country, but still one we are very susceptible to. It's a devastating malnutritional disease called scurvy. And I reference it because it is probably the best example of what happens to our souls if we actually avoid the Bible altogether or maybe just piecemeal, cherry pick what we want to study and actually don't embrace all of what God is trying to show us about our lives and our world. So in case you don't know, unlike a lot of other diseases, which just come upon you, they literally are the types of things where they, they, they show up one day with a diagnosis without warning. Scurvy is an interesting disease because it's actually very avoidable. A sailor suffered from this many, many eons ago because it, it is brought upon by a lack of vitamin C. And so as they were out at sea, they did not have access to fresh fruits and vegetables. And because of this, they got sick, a great many of them. And eventually it was determined that by supplementing your diet with lemons and limes and any other high-value foods that have vitamin C in it, you could actually stave off the effects and maybe even entirely cure this issue. And so scurvy is literally caused by a, dis- a deficiency of vitamin C. And what's interesting about this, the parallel I'd like to make to our study, lack of, or incomplete understanding of the Bible, is that the symptoms for this start out rather mildly. It's brought on by a bit of a feeling of lethargy, like maybe you're a little bit tired. You know, that might be normal. That happens to us on regular days, right? We're a little bit sleepy or tired. Maybe we feel a bit slow in life and, you know, we didn't have the energy that we once had. And you can sort of relegate these things to, to just the normal progress of life or it can be something more significant, which is what is happening here. So the symptoms started out rather mildly. However, when left unchecked, the symptoms progressed into far more dangerous problems that began to cause very serious damage to the body and they could even be deadly. People died from this, all because they either intentionally knew that they should have been ingesting vitamin C and chose not to, or they were just not aware of the fact that they needed it and eventually the disease overtook them. Now, I'm not a dietitian. I did stay in a Holiday Inn last night. I'm not a dietitian, but I want to share a little bit about this. I'm not here to talk entirely about the effects of physical malnutrition on the body, although I find since we are made body and soul, these things really do have very strong parallels. In the same way you do or do not study the Bible, we can, we can learn something about this. The way you do or do not study the Bible will largely dictate the health and the vibrancy of your soul because God says the truths of Scripture are literal food for your soul. The same way that food is literal food for the body. What we ingest and how we treat ourselves often has a cause and effect. The same is true with the Bible. And for some people, let me give you some examples here. For some people, let's just start with the worst case scenario. We don't read the Bible at all. And there are lots of reasons for that. Maybe we don't want to read the Bible, or maybe we're new to the faith and we don't understand how to read the Bible. Or maybe you're sitting here today saying, this is the first time somebody's ever said, hey, I should think about reading the Bible. There's no judgment in this. Don't hear me trying to like point fingers. I'm just saying whatever the cause is, whatever the reasons are for not reading the Bible, there are a great many people who do not. And the reality of this is that spiritual malnutrition at this point is the least of our worries if this is the state we're in. Because God says this action is equivalent to spiritually starving ourselves to death. You know, we've all likely seen, whether it's on TV or stuff we read in school, we know the effects of starvation. Eventually it takes over your body and will, it will take your life. 
The same principle is true when it comes to our spiritual intake, the way we sort of choose to live and feast on the truths of God. We are in a faith where Jesus wants us to thrive on the vine. That's what he says. He is the vine and we are the branches. And when we are deeply connected to him, vibrancy should be what defines our life. Vibrancy doesn't mean we're happy 24-7. Vibrancy just simply means we are indwelled by the power of God and live our lives in a way that reflects that. We are victorious. We can overcome. We have hope. We have joy. But what happens here is if we disconnect ourselves from truth altogether, we make a decision to die on the vine rather than being sustained by it in Jesus. It's a very serious problem. Eventually, the soul will wither up and die. Some of us might suffer from a different problem. It might seem more mild at first, but it actually can have the same effect. Maybe we're reading the Bible, but we don't really know how to read the Bible in a way that, that catalyzes spiritual growth in our lives. So words seem hollow to us. They might be numb or empty. We're approaching Scripture and we're saying, God, speak to me, and we don't feel like he is. This can happen quite a bit. Maybe we're in a hard season in life or life feels like winter. There's no sun shining. And we are approaching the Bible, not understanding what's going on. And because of that, maybe we get calloused towards it or discouraged by it. Very real things that can take place in our lives. And at the end of the day, we hear these ideas that when we are in truth, we should be growing, but we don't necessarily feel that. This is also a very significant issue. It is sort of like the scurvy reality. Over time, that weariness, that fatigue can actually really hurt the soul. It can actually damage or jeopardize our walk with God. And so this feeding your soul idea is what I want to address this morning by giving you a practical two-step reading plan that will help you grow healthily into the image of Jesus. Not perfectly, but healthily. This doesn't mean we won't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that, you know, what I'm going to say today in 35 minutes is going to cover every single gap. That's not my intention today is to give you like a slam dunk. It's just my idea to sort of maybe give us a general idea for us to be able to migrate in the same direction on how we can avoid some of these major pitfalls, starving ourselves to death or maybe actually incompletely feeding our soul. So what I would say first and foremost, and I am a firm believer in this, is if you want to read the Bible for all it's worth, then you have to make it a point to continually read a gospel so that everything else you read can be filtered to the life and the teachings of Jesus. And by a gospel, I simply mean there is the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ in the Bible, and then there are the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And here's why I think it is important to continually be reading something from them, even if it's just a verse or two a day. Here's why this is important. Today, we are living in a world that seems to be somewhat infatuated with, I like to call this abstract spirituality, and I've talked about this before because it's a very significant challenge. And what I mean is, it's very common for people, and at times even Christians, to see God, His truth, the Bible, the church family, all these sort of we-believe ideas. It's very easy to sort of approach them and derive a lot of confusion from them. What I simply mean is, a lot of people in our world today seem to value blurriness when it comes to to spirituality when it comes to life now it's one thing to sort of be confused and to want to know what's going on it's another thing to sort of value the confusion and that seems to be common in our world today and so if you come from a faith tradition like this whether it's a branch of christianity or some other faith whether it's a personal one or one of the recognized ones globally if you have been influenced by this sort of idea in our culture and oftentimes in faith or religion or you've understood the Christian faith to be like this. Well, you know, God's up there and it's all going to work out. That's true, but that's not all God has told us about himself. And so sometimes we sort of position ourselves to see God as more blurry than he is. And consequently, we sort of get very cold towards him or we feel like he's around but not intimate. All of this sort of fuzziness can really detract us from the foundational idea we talked about last week. 
The whole point of the Bible, the whole point of Christianity, the whole point of the church family is God wants to be known. In other words, he's trying to constantly unblur the areas of our life so that we would have a greater focus and clarity and the life and the teachings of his son, Jesus. And so if you're here today and you sort of feel like life is blurry or fuzzy, again, no judgment. I just want to ask you if it's worth asking yourself if you, you have an accurate view of God. And furthermore, it's very fair to say if we sort of start very blurry, God can't be known, or maybe God is known but not really in a real or significant way, what happens is this camp of people will likely have a very hard time marrying any of the teachings of the Bible to our everyday life. And there is a great amount of stuff in the scripture that can really benefit our everyday life. I was reading this morning about how God, God wants us to be a people who love mercy from the book of Micah. It's interesting. And today I've been thinking about what does it mean to be a person who has received mercy in a way, and I love it, and I love to see other people receive it too, right? It really is a really short sentence, that one little idea, but it was enough to sort of bend my whole head around it this morning. To this very moment, it's popping up in my head right now. God desires to be known. And the challenge with the blurriness of faith is that spirituality for this type of person, it is a very vague thing, and it is very hard to find clarity in the vague. Let me give you sort of an example of this. A few years ago, I shared a a loose story off the cuff, and I'll do it again this morning, of something I saw in Brazil. I did some mission work in North and Southern Brazil. And when I was in Northern Brazil, there were a group of people literally called spiritualists. That was the name of their sort of religious sect. And one night we were down at the beach watching them float these large like styrofoam mannequins out into the ocean. And the idea behind that, it, it was odd. I'd never seen anything like that before. I'm pretty sure the FWC would be on you if you did that here. But nonetheless, they were floating these foam bodies out to sea. And when we asked them what they were doing, what they said was, it was sort of like significant of them free, freeing themselves. That's what that represented, that they were not bound to the realities of this world and they were sort of floating away in the ocean. And while it was sort of beautiful in its essence, it was also, I think, utterly disconnected from reality. So, for example, it's like 185 degrees out right now, and you and I are likely running our air conditioners nonstop. And when FPL wants their $300 from you this month, if you say, listen, man, I am disconnected from the realities of this world. I'm floating free like a foam statue in the ocean. They're going to say, free, be, be free as we want, but I'm turning your electricity off, right? That is, that's not how the world works. Right? Uh, Jesus speaks about us being free, but he doesn't detach that freedom from the realities or the trials or the struggles or the stuff that goes on in life. Right? So this is a great example. In that sense, it's almost like a migration towards confusion. And I, I looked at that and I thought, man, this would be wonderful if it was true, but it just didn't resonate with me. And Paul talks about this. There's, there's a lot of this sort of idea in the Bible. It's not condoned, but it is referenced when referring to ancient and modern spirituality. It's a challenge. 2 Timothy 3.7, it'll be behind me. Paul's talking a lot about, about a lot of stuff right now. But he sort of hits this archetypal person when he says, this is the type of person, someone who is always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And think about that. It seems a little philosophical in the front end, but it's actually very practical. What he's talking about is a person who's always seeking something in life, freedom. But the reality is, is they've actually not found it. Or they want a direction in life. And the reality is, is they've, not, they've not found it. Sometimes that's because maybe our hearts are hard. Maybe we're looking for hope or joy and we can't experience that. That's one thing. It's one thing to have God sort of work in your heart to bring that reality about. He's talking about something very different here. He's actually talking about a type of person that sort of knows the truth is out there. They just really don't want to know what that truth is. And so what happens is in, in our desire to know God, we know that that might be costly or have an effect on our lives. And so we, 
we desire, we search, we're always learning, but we're actually never coming to any conclusions, any knowledge of truth. And what that means is we sort of like, we're in the cul-de-sac of life, spiritual, physical, and emotional. We're sort of spinning our wheels, or it's like the dog chasing uh, the tail. And so this abstract faith issue is a bit of a problem because faith to this person, I like to say it's like nailing jello to a wall. Go ahead and try that today. You'll waste your time. It hangs for a little bit and then falls off. It, it can't be nailed down. It can't be understood or it can't, it can't be applied. And hear me, I'm not saying that Christianity is like a, a, an algebra equation or a simple addition like 2 plus 2 equals 4. Don't hear me arguing for a small idea of the Christian faith. What I'm saying here is there are definitely going to be incredibly difficult ideas in the Scripture, challenging truths in the Bible that we have to wrestle with and process. What you will find, and this totally sounds crazy, but it's become a battle cry for my life. The older I've gotten, the, I feel like I know more about God than ever. And in the same sense, that's also made me know less about Him. The, the more I've sort of recognized His grandeur and His awesomeness and His care and His love, the more I feel like I'm closer to Him than ever and also like just completely in recognition of how amazing He is but I don't feel confused anymore. And the idea here is that I, I don't want to minimize faith. I sort of want to blow it up and make it somewhat bigger. I want us to understand that if we followed Jesus for some time, don't hear me saying that faith will not be challenging to our head, our heart, or our hands. It's going to be in ways that are unparalleled here. What I am trying to argue against is the, the main point of what we talked about last week. God is a God who desires us to know him. He desires to be known by us. He wants relationship with us. And one of the greatest evidences we have of that is the scriptures. I'm saying this to you confidently because this is in our Bible. And so to follow God as if he is a confusing enigma is not the right way to see God or approach the Bible. It just isn't. It will create a condition where we are trying to learn, and by learn I mean head, heart, and hands, something about who our God is but it might actually breed a reality where we are never finding anything because our expectation is God is fuzzy or enigmatic and is trying to hide himself for us. And we know this is true because in sharp contrast to so many of the, the spiritualities or philosophies of the world that we live in today, Christianity, if for nothing less, is pretty clear and direct. In fact, in my studies, it's kind of been hard to find any other faith in the world that can rival its clarity for what a life shaped by Jesus' truth should look like in our lives. No matter where you go, especially in the New Testament, you are going to find truth being embodied. And the reason this is, is so is found in John, uh, the Gospel of John 1, 1 through 5 and verse 14. I want to read it to you here. It's behind me. Here we read this, and this is a, a connection to Genesis, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And know this, the, the Word is, uh, is sort of a philosophical idea in the first century world of, of the Greeks, and the Romans is, it's very, especially with the Greeks, there's this incredibly strong idea of, of there being some sort of force or idea that binds the universe together. This is what we know in the modern world as the logos. And this word is literally that in the Greek, the logos. And what this means is the, the word, the truth, the idea sort of that embodied and made the world go round. As John is addressing this to this group of people, what he's saying is, you guys are all like, look, you're all looking and learning. You're trying to figure out like, what is it that makes the world go round? And I want to tell you that it was in the beginning that the word, the word is synonymous for Jesus. So right away, he doesn't split any hairs. He lets them know what you're looking for is this guy named Jesus. And let me tell you a few things about him. He goes on and he says, he was with God in the beginning and through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In other words, if it didn't come by him, it wasn't on earth. It, it didn't happen. 
He is the author of all life. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Not only did he create life, but he gave us a hope in this life. And that light, he says, shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then he goes on to say the summary of this whole teaching in verse 14. The word became flesh. This is a Christmas verse, right? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory. Because of that, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, here's what these verses teach us about how we should read the Bible. And we know these verses because I am reading the Bible to you. We should not have to be in a position where we are constantly guessing about our faith. I'm not saying there are not going to be times where we're not confused or things are beyond our head. Please don't hear me saying that. But what I'm saying is, is if we live in this position before God that we always want to learn but can never find anything out, we can never have our heads or our hearts sort of satisfied by the truth and the grace of God, what it means is we might be looking at God very incorrectly. We don't ever have to wonder what he's like or what he wants us to be like because he has made a way for us to know him. And it truly is an astounding way. He gave us someone to look at. His son, Jesus, Colossians tells us he is the visible image of the invisible God. Literally says, the visible image. You need to touch something to figure out who Jesus is. In the first century, they could see him, they could touch him. Today, we have these incredible writings that he left behind for us. There is a way, there is a way to see truth as you desire to learn. He's a flesh and blood revelation of God, of God's ways, of his teachings, and the scripture. And so if you ever want to know what a person's life who is committed to Jesus, the truth and grace of Jesus, is supposed to look like, if you want to know what that is supposed to do in your heart, how it's supposed to shape your minds and your thoughts, all you have to do is look at the life and the teachings of Jesus in the gospel. You don't have to float a statue in the ocean. You can just open the book of John and literally read and have God's Holy Spirit communicate to you about the person of Jesus. And that's why I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to always make it a point to be in a gospel, whether it is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Never disconnect yourself from the story of Jesus, the life of Jesus, because it truly is the epicenter of God's covenant with us, which is revealed in Jesus. The Old Testament leads to him. Everything that happened after him in the New Testament is pointing people back to him. He is the crux that binds both of these testaments together. And that is where we should spend the bulk of our time. We really should invest our lives in the nature and the person of Jesus. And this would make sense, right? If we are called to be transformed daily into a disciple of Jesus, if the image that God most desired us to see about him was his son Christ, then we should be committed to understanding his life and his teachings by applying them to our lives. So make it a point today. If you need an action step, here's a quick one. Make it a point this day to start reading or rereading the Gospels until Jesus takes you home. I never read them, and this is a common thing to hear from people. There's always something new. It's, even though you've read them like six billion times, something new pops up. You're in a new season of life, and you know, God turns an idea in a way you've never heard it before or understood it before. Spend some time with Jesus in the Gospels. It will be incredibly valuable to your life. It's, it's powerful and important. Okay? Simple. Read a Gospel. Secondly, and I'll be a little shorter here. Study something that personally interests you. And let me explain what I mean by this. As people, most of us are curious by nature. And so as people, when it comes to Bible reading, we oftentimes tend to just, if we're reading it all, we migrate to the stuff that we like or it's interesting. Man, I've had some pretty out there conversations with people, and I have loved every one of them. I'm not saying this in a, in a negative way. People have all kinds of stuff they want to know about. I did some public Q&As years ago, and it was amazing how many people were asking about aliens. 
And I mean, no, I mean, that's a great thing to discuss. I'm not one and don't know one, so I didn't have a lot of stuff to talk about there. But people were wanting to know, like, what does the Bible say about aliens? We have, a, you know, all of us probably have some questions, some big ones that we want to know in life. Some of them are really kind of clear and down to earth. Maybe a few of them are a little out there. But either way, if you have a question, one of the things I love about our church is nothing's off limits here. We want to be able to talk about everything. And so I, I'm not trying to knock the question. I'm trying to knock what happens if we only pursue God with questions like this. What I want to say is it's very important to read a gospel, okay? But not only read a gospel. It's important to remember that the story of God, while it climaxed in the person of Jesus, it did not begin or end there. Jesus is binding both covenants together, but God's working several thousand years before him, leading to Jesus, and he's working several thousand years after Jesus' time on earth. Right now, he's working through us. The, the power and the presence of Jesus is alive in the wellness world through his spirit. So it's important that we don't just get red-lettered. I've heard people say this in years past. You know, they only want to read those areas where Jesus speaks, and some of those can be very hard to deal with. The rest of the Bible was given to us for a reason, and that is why it is important to simultaneously read another book of the Bible, like, for example, the books of the Old Testament. Start reading Genesis and Matthew at the same time. It's pretty interesting what you'll put together there. Or maybe for a season you address some of these topics you have questions about, like, what does the Bible say about aliens? Not recommending that one, but go ahead, you know, give it a look-see. What does the Bible say about life? What does the Bible say about whatever? Fill in the blank. This ensures that we have a bit of a balanced diet of truth and application in our life. And I'll give you some examples of this. Maybe it's seeing what the Bible has to say about an important issue to you right now in life. Maybe you're sitting here looking around in the world and you're saying like, man, I see a lot of suffering in people. Or, man, it seems like poverty is on the rise. And you're saying like, God, what do you say about suffering and poverty? And what is my role in this? How do I be the type of person who can who can embody Jesus in these areas. You fill in your blanks if it's not poverty or suffering. The idea is stuff's going on around us, and it might be good for us to consult God about what our role in these things are. Or maybe it's something far more personal right now. Maybe you're here saying like, man, I wish I could be thinking about other people, but I'm pretty anxious right now, and I've been utterly depressed, and I'm defined by fear at this moment. I can't even sort me out, let alone people around me. That's okay. Maybe it's time to say, while you're reading about the life of Jesus, what does the Bible say about anxiety? What does the Bible say about a heart that is constantly blue and depressed? What does the Bible say about me being a person who's, who's always living in fear? That's my driving decision in life. As you know, life is a bit of an endless well of blessings and challenges. And what you'll find is that all of the matters of your life and our ministry before Jesus and our world, they are regularly spoken about in the Bible. And that is why it's important to spend time with God in the Bible as you sort through them. I'll give you another example of this. Right now, I am trying to get a better understanding of what the Bible says about distraction because it is such a growing issue in our media-saturated culture. And so this is my little pet peeve right now. I'm trying to sort out what this looks like. And I'm looking at resources and trying to understand what the Bible says about focus and distraction. Because let's be honest, our faith, it demands that we migrate in this direction where we deeply focus on the person of Jesus. I like to use the language of following his voice. We have many voices that speak to us in life, and a great many of them matter. But the one that should define every other voice we listen to is Jesus. He's the sifting voice. And that can be very hard to do. You know, you're being bombarded. Some of you are tweeting right now. You're being bombarded by messages, right? People are constantly telling you what to say and what to do and what to buy. How do we sort through that? Well, the scripture speaks about focus, and it might be worth looking at that. So combining these two steps is important to do in order to maintain a healthy spiritual diet because you get a healthy dose of Jesus as you read a gospel. 
while being able to satisfy the appetite of our life struggles, challenges, or maybe even just our preferences and affinities. It's not a bad thing to really just want to know something to know something. That's actually really okay. It's okay if you have always wanted to know something about God and his work to pursue that. Because if you pursue that knowing that God desires to show you that, then what will happen is your desire to learn will create a knowledge of the truth. A knowledge that, sh- that informs your mind, affects your heart, and shapes your hands, what you do and say in the world. Now, with that said, maybe the closing warning here, there's a potential danger in this. If we, disconnect, if we don't read the Bible at all or disconnect these ideas, or at least the principle of them, it can create some challenges. So if we practice this second step alone, and I say this because what I've noticed over the years, and I've even you know, sort of migrated in this direction, for many of us, if we're studying the Bible at all, this is the only step we embrace. And consequently, what happens is we only read the stuff we're most interested in or most comfortable with. The reason why we try to teach through books at our church, or at least pretty sort of airtight series, is because this forces us to address issues that we would not necessarily you know, have migrated towards if we were able to just cherry pick what we wanted to say and reveal about God. The idea behind this is that if we're preferential in our study of God, our, our pursuit of him, we will likely just go to the stuff we're interested or comfortable in. And what that will do is give us a spiritual scurvy. It really will. And you can see this topical imbalance in a lot of areas of life. Here are some of the common ones that have sort of been around for a long time. You know, you've got a ton of people out there who speak of God's grace without any understanding of, God, of sin, what grace actually was meant to deal with. That makes grace really cheap. On the other side of the spectrum, we've all likely heard from a person, maybe directly heard a person who is all about teaching about sin without any understanding of grace. And that creates like you get hit with the Bible bat. Nobody wants to be around that, right? It's a faith that is hard, cold, or callous. It's a scurvy. It's a problem. A few years ago, for you Bible heads out there, you'll know like it was really in these whole end times things. Like the Bible actually has a great bit to say about the end times and the return of Jesus. But right around like Y2K, maybe some of you weren't even born then, but I was like 24 or so right in that age. Um, the world was like wondering whether or not we were going to reboot our computers and be annihilated. That's what was happening. And so as a, as a result, all of this, this stuff was going on around about end times. And don't get me wrong, the Bible speaks about end times. It's one, of the, it's one of the dishes on the buffet of pursuing God. But I think for a season, a lot of people forgot there were like 65 other books in the Bible, and those needed to be read too. And in case you're wondering what happened with Y2K, we're all here. Like, we're all still here, right? So we might have spent a little bit more time in that area, right? We're still around. I mean, you can literally trace every ism, every theological imbalance in the Christian faith back to this dietary imbalance. And so to avoid this, we have to know, listen, the Bible is filled with heart-deep teachings that will blow our minds and rock the core of our hearts in every area of life. God has designed it that way. And if we will have the guts to read the Bible for all it is worth, and we will ask God to speak into our lives in their entirety, something will happen. We'll recognize that God doesn't just want a piece of us. God actually wants all of us, the good and the bad, the lumps, the warts, and the good stuff. The reason being, God desires, God loves us enough that he desires Jesus to speak into every area of our heart. He wants to leave no element of us untouched. And that says a lot about his character. It says a lot about how he pursues us and how he desires us to know him. Now, on the contrary, if you choose to not read the Bible at all or only study what makes you comfortable, your fate is sealed in one of two ways. It ends up one of two ways. You either starve to death because you're not feeding your soul and you're hungry for something. Every, every one of us has a soul and we're all feeding on something. So if it is not the voice of Jesus, you are likely being filled up by something else. That will lead to a death in Christ. Or you're so selectively reading the stuff we like, the stuff that's easy, the stuff that's maybe, you know, on the, on the, the high minds of culture today. Whatever it is, is we're being sort of 
We're not being driven by a pursuit of who God is. We're being driven by all these other ideas, thoughts, and preferences. That will breed a diseased form of Christianity that kills our soul in a different way. It's like not having any vitamin C. It'll create a lethargy. It'll create an imbalance in our lives that really can cause a slow death in us. So my encouragement to you today is to to try to avoid the imbalance. Work towards the balanced diet. If you have questions about what this looks like, you want more detail here, let us know that. We will help you figure that out. We're all in this journey together, and we're all trying to figure out how to follow God in more meaningful ways. So this isn't a you or me thing. This is an us thing. Let your scriptural affinities, whether they are theological, moral, academic, emotional, social, whatever, let all of those ideas be sifted through the life and the teachings of Jesus. You will find he has likely spoken into all of them. And in doing so, what happens is we will more naturally grow in Jesus, and equally as important, we'll start to desire to live like Jesus amongst our family at the church and for our neighbor, for the people in our lives. You know, when God says, love mercy, that's not just about us. It's about the way we care for and shepherd the people of our world and our brothers and sisters in Jesus. That should have a cause and effect. I want to say one last thing regarding this. One of the greatest challenges facing the people of God today And anytime we talk about the Bible, I talk about this statement. I don't rewrite it. I I literally regurgitate it. Is that we're, we're trying to know God by reading the Bible, right? That's what I'm arguing for here. But we live in a culture that seems to be replacing thoughtful reading, not in its entirety, but sort of thoughtful meditation with short tweets, sound bites, and Facebook blurbs. I'm not against any of those unless they're out of context and defaming a person. But the idea is you, you cannot know God through tweets. You might, it, it's, it, he's too robust for that. And so what happens is our minds are conditioned to be very short in everything we say and do. And the journey of following God is a very long one. It begins on this earth and it never ends actually. When you're in Christ, it's for all of eternity. And so some of us have heard or maybe even say ourselves, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm supposed to read the Bible, but I just don't have the attention span for it or the focus for it. Uh, the, the most common reason today, I read this from a Crossway survey two weeks ago, the number one reason in America today why people don't read the Bible, and it's what's ironic is these are people saying they want to read the Bible, but they are not reading the Bible because they say they don't have any time. Okay, so what I'm saying here is We can't let this be an excuse anymore. We can't let this be the kind of thing that imbalances us. And so if these are the reasons for not reading the Bible, you have to know that we are really making a decision to starve our souls and to separate ourselves from the presence of God. That's what's happening. We're pulling away from him. And the solution to this problem, it's a simple one on paper, but maybe one that's a little harder in application. I would encourage you, if you're not reading the Bible at all, or you need to read less about aliens, whichever camp you're in, to start reading somewhere. I would say this, think of your day, you've got 24 hours in it, find five minutes, five. It's a pretty fair assessment to say every one of us could find at least five minutes to start someplace. You could read a couple of verses in the book of Matthew and a couple of verses in the the book of Genesis in five minutes, and that's a start. And don't let the shortness of that communicate in significance. That's a really good start. The more you tend to be in the word, the more likely you are to love wanting to be in it. And so remember, when I say read the Bible, I always like to say this. I'm not arguing for you pursuing a a PhD in Christianity. I'm not saying go ahead and spend 11 hours tonight doing that. That's great if you can find the space for that. If you're in the working world, that's hard. I'm just saying spend some time with God in the Bible. Start someplace with a balanced diet. Start by reading a few verses a day. Because as I said a few weeks ago, everyone in life is being shaped by something. Our culture, our friends, our family, other worldviews, our own desires, the expectations of life. We are all being molded. 
And I'm going to make a strong argument for us being really mindful of what it is that is actually molding us. That is why God's given us a life, so we can think about it and reflect on it. And in the Christian faith, to live in a way that actually reflects his goodness and his glory and his grace. That's, that said, God's desire for those who say they love and follow Jesus is really that we'd be shaped into the, son, the image of his son. And that only happens when you actually spend time with the son in the Bible. Make it a point to be in the word. My second question, and I promise you I've got like four paragraphs here. We're not going to be here 40 minutes. My second question is, now that we've sort of talked a little bit about what it means to read the Bible, how should we read it, approach a gospel and a topic, I simply leave you with this. What should I expect to happen as I read the Bible? We would be amiss if we didn't talk about this. And I want to answer this question with a quote from uh, a really well-known uh, theologian in our world today. And he writes in very practical ways, which is why I like him. His name is Wayne Grudem, and he's a really well-known, trusted theologian. And he said something that really impacted me in his book. It's a really short book. It's worth picking up if you don't have it. It's called 20 Christian Beliefs Every Christian Should Know. And it sort of talks about some of the foundational things that make us Christian, our foundational beliefs. And I hope that the impact this had on me, well, it'll have a similar impact on you, and I'll read it to you. He was talking about it, sort of expectations, like how do we approach the Bible? It'll be behind me. Read along with me. Wayne Grudem says this, If God claims that the words of Scripture are his own, and he does, then there is ultimately no higher authority one can appeal to for proof of this claim than Scripture itself. For what authority could be higher than God? In other words, what he's saying is, is we don't even need to make a case for why the Bible matters because simply put, God said it matters. But part of being good witnesses and evangelists in the world is that we're actually going to help people to understand some of the history and the nature of why we think this is valuable. But ultimately, that's a courtesy to the world is what God is saying. He, he's, he judges himself by his own authority. What authority could be higher than God? So scripture ultimately gains its authority from itself. Here's what I want to emphasize. But the claims of scripture only become our personal convictions through the work of the Holy Spirit in an individual's heart. Here's an example of this. Read the Bible. The Bible actually says that. That's an authority. But the reality of that shaping our heart only happens when the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of us, when our desires and the work of God begin to align. Authority is not enough. If that was the case, I would have opened this by saying, read your Bible, and we would have prayed and gone home. It's not enough. It wasn't meant to be enough. The Holy Spirit doesn't change the words in any way. He doesn't supernaturally make them become the words of God, for they always have been. He does, however, change the reader of Scripture. The Holy Spirit makes readers realize the Bible is unlike any other book they have ever read. Through reading, they believe that the words of Scripture are the very words of God himself. It is as Jesus said in John 10, 27, that great dialogue about the shepherd and his sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. In other words, when you open that book, there is a voice. God is trying to communicate to you. So you see, when you choose to read the Bible for all it's worth, you should expect God to transform you into the image of Jesus. You should expect for God to speak to you, to encourage your heart, to convict you of sin. You should expect him to challenge you and to use you in meaningful ways to be a blessing to your world, to your neighbor, your church family. You should expect to grow close to God and experience a love like nothing in the world in Jesus. But you have to know if you want to experience Christ like this, if you want to move from the, the ranks of marginal Christianity to meaningful Christianity, you must go to the Bible with this expectation. Don't go with a fuzzy idea. Don't go thinking God doesn't care about you. Think what God actually says about you. Know what he says about you. He loves you and he cares for you. And he has given you this so you could understand your meaning, your value, and your worth in his son Jesus. God desires to make you more like Christ. So be mindful of the popular but faulty way some in our world seek to study the scriptures. Here's the hardest part of this, maybe perhaps the hardest thing I'll say this morning. 
If we go to the Bible expecting God to change for us, we are never going to know God the way that he wants us to know him. That's what this guy Wayne Grudem is saying here. One of the things he's saying, you know, we don't go to the Bible changing it. God is who he is. We go to the Bible asking God to help us understand why it is he wants us to be like him. The first path, right, pursuing God for who he is, leads us down the road of Christ-likeness. The latter, sort of going to God and demanding him to, to follow us, that he follow us, the latter takes us on a journey of faith for sure, but it's not, it's not God's journey, it's, it's our journey. And that's a problem. We want to be on his journey. So as we move into our response time this morning, I ask you to do this. Think about this. Root your life in God's story in the scripture. Listen to the voice of the shepherd. As you open that book or read that phone, whatever you're doing, there is a voice in there trying to speak to you. His name is God and his son is Jesus and he's given you the power of his Holy Spirit so that you would not misunderstand that. He's given you like the best pipeline of communication ever known. Ask yourself, what is Jesus saying to you about your understanding and your, your desire to read the Bible and what is it that you will do about it? And if you have questions with any of that, please, please let us know. We want to do our best to help you figure out whatever it is you are trying to sort out when it comes to this truth.